Support for this show comes from Sylvan Learning. When children love learning, they can tackle any challenge life throws at them. Sylvan's insight assessment can help you determine if your child is ready for what's ahead. It can also identify gaps in learning and point out areas that could be of concern for your child so they can tackle what's to come. And right now, it's the best price of the year at $29. Go to sylvan29.com to learn more and get your child's assessment for only $29. That's S-Y-L-V-A-N-29.com. Support for this podcast comes from Planned Parenthood. It's hard to imagine a world where we leave future generations with fewer rights and freedoms. Since the Supreme Court's decision to overturn Roe v. Wade, politicians in nearly every state have introduced bills aimed at blocking people from getting the essential sexual and reproductive care they need, including abortion. Planned Parenthood believes everyone deserves access to care. And with supporters like you, they can reclaim our rights and protect and expand access to abortion care. Visit PlannedParenthood.org future to learn more and support their cause. Carrie Ann Jackson worked for the North Dakota Department of Corrections and Rehabilitation for nine years. But her last two years there were very different from her first seven. Things started to change in 2015 when she went on a trip. It was part of a bigger program, one that took U.S. prison officials on tours of prison systems overseas. In Germany, in Norway. Her expectations for this trip were pretty low. I was really arrogant. (laughs) I thought we were already doing everything right. It's just that our staff wasn't doing it well enough. Right? We were already doing what the evidence says. Like, what was I really going to see other than, like, what I call the IKEA prison, right? Like, it was going to look nice. Um, It was going to look like a college campus. It was going to be pretty. That's really all I thought I was going to see. I didn't expect, and I don't think any of my colleagues expected to be so moved and really so humiliated (laughs) by what we saw. From the Vox Media Podcast Network, this is Future Perfect, a podcast where we look at big problems through the lens of effective altruism. I'm Dylan Matthews. One of the big ideas in effective altruism is that we should work on really big problems, but really big problems that we know we can make a big dent in. And we should do that even if making a big dent in them requires doing things that are kind of counterintuitive or emotionally uncomfortable. Today, we're applying that idea to the American prison system. The problem is definitely big. More than 2 million Americans are locked up at any given time. Right now, going to prison is like getting a chronic disease. It sticks with you even after you've left. The rehabilitation part of Department of Corrections and Rehabilitation, it's just not happening. For every four people who get out of state prison, three of them will be back in prison again within five years. That is 75%. That's where the possibility for big change comes in. Some people, people like Carrie Ann, think we could actually rehabilitate people and keep them from coming back. But to do it, we'd have to make prisons pleasant. Again, this might seem counterintuitive. Emotionally, we want to punish people who do bad things, and it feels logical to make prison as unpleasant as possible. Like, the worse prison is, the more scared people will be to commit crimes. 
But that's not what Carrie Ann Jackson saw in Norway. Once you get through the one gate, right, there's a kind of a big cement wall. You just look like you're at a college campus. It feels like a college campus. And not just because of the physical environment that looks like dorms and classes and libraries. It feels like a college campus because it feels like people are there to learn something. (laughs) And the staff are there to teach them something. And so... I think that's what took me most was that they had clearly built this place to do exactly what it is they say they're going to do, which is rehabilitate people. What does a cell look like in this place? So they don't actually have like the rows and rows and rows and tiers of cells warehousing people like we're more prone to do here in the States. They have these small cottages, really. And so one cottage might have 10 or 12 rooms and then have a common area to cook, to watch TV, to read a book. There are no bars, just windows. Everyone, I mean, this is a big one for prison. Every room has a door that doesn't have some like one-sided window so I can, you know, peek in on you. They really value privacy. And uh, in the kitchen, like the things that, if you want to know what shocks United States correctional people, going into a kitchen and seeing real knives, real dishes, real real cops. <laughs> we commonly will feed guys out of a flimsy kind of rubbery plastic so they can't even use the tray as a weapon. And here they've got like a butcher knife. It looks very much like a home that you could be comfortable in. And were the guards scared by this? By these inmates with butcher knives? Um, no. What was interesting is that the correctional officers didn't wear uniforms. They wore normal clothes. So there wasn't like this, I'm the cop and you're the robber kind of costume party happening. Like it was, I'm a person and I work here and you're a person and you live here. And it keeps things really level and it removes all those obstacles that occur because the people we work with typically do have some level of resistance towards someone who's seen as authority um, just through their experience and learning. People can just be people interacting with others. And what are you feeling as you're walking through all this? Oh, pissed off. Like, I <laughs> losing my mind. <laughs> um, I had been so staunchly affiliated with, you do these eight evidence-based practices, you implement these with high fidelity, and your result is reduced recidivism, period. And uh, what we found with every new kind of venture was this very kind of shallow transmission of the message. Kind of like, I guess the way I equate it is, if I want people to get in shape, uh, I start putting ellipticals in a McDonald's, right? So it's not gonna hurt them, right? It couldn't hurt them to get on an elliptical while they're ordering their lunch, but it'd probably be better just to not have them at a McDonald's, right? And I think that's where we got stuck, is we kept adding things to something that was broken instead of looking at what was broken. Back in the 1980s, Norway's prisons were much less like college campuses. And in the old Norwegian system, 40% of people came back after being released. Now it's 20%, literally half of what it used to be. The college campus prison is doing a way better job of rehabilitating criminals. I asked Carrie Ann if it felt kind of sad to see how different these prisons were from the ones she was running back home. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I, I jokingly but, but very honestly say it was the best trip of my life that I kind of wish I never would have taken. When I, when I came back, 
I was harder to work with. One of my colleagues who I worked very closely with said to me at one point, you're just so much less tolerant of mediocrity now. <laughs> when Carrie Ann got back home, she organized a conference on prisons at the Capitol. She brought some photos from Norway. She brought hors d'oeuvres. But more importantly, she brought two inmates. I went and got him some clothes, put him in normal clothes. Uh, we didn't have security drive him to the Capitol or put him in handcuffs. They just hopped in my truck. And uh, we went up to the Capitol and we let them share their experience about what humanity means to them while they're incarcerated. What a difference that relationship piece does uh, to their ability to change or not change. Do you remember a specific point that, that one of the inmates made about about what humanity meant to them that was particularly powerful? Yeah. You know, there was, a, there was one guy, he's actually released now. He talked about how when someone bothered to get to know him as Ed, he thought more about who he wanted Ed to be, right? It's very kind of like Aristotle, right? Builders learn to build by building. Harpists learn to play the harp by playing the harp. I learned to be a person by being a person. You know, I learned self-control by being self-controlled. If I feel like you're putting me in a cage and treating me like an animal, I wish my response was to show you that you were wrong. But typically my response is to show you you're right and just how right you are. I'm not guess I, I just want to treat you like human. Like, um, if you continuously treat me like an animal, you might turn that person into an animal. This is Opsa. He's another inmate that Carrie Ann worked with, and she interviewed him for a short video that she made. In the video, he's young. He's in his 20s. He's wearing a white T-shirt. And he's serving a sentence for kidnapping and robbery. Before Carrie Ann started making changes, she says he was aggressive, threatening staff and getting into fights. Before, I felt like nobody gave a fuck. So why should I? Even if I didn't want to change, I didn't know how to go about it. There was nobody there to help. Opsa spent time in solitary confinement. It's like you in there, you lie down 22, 23 hours a day. It's like the world forgot about you. And the only interaction you get is asking the CEO for the newspaper or something like that. They might give it to you. They might not. They might get an attitude about it, which makes it 10 times worse because you already stuck back there. At times, I wouldn't have nothing in myself for months and months and months on end. Caused me a lot of stress. And this is Nick. He's in his 30s and has been in and out of prison for burglary, assault, drug charges, theft. He's also had a lot of run-ins with prison staff. And he spent a lot of time in solitary. I was just feeling like um, giving up. I was feeling like, you know, everybody was against me that they didn't want to help me at all, that they were just throwing me into a cell with nothing and just saying pretty much, F you, Nick. We don't care about you. So Nick, how do you want to be treated while you're in prison? I want to be treated like a human, respectfully. For staff to see me for who I am other than just a prisoner. After her Norway trip, Carrie thought, okay, what we're doing now isn't working. So let's pick some principles from the Norwegian correctional system and try them out in North Dakota. 
I think one of the biggest ones that, that, that I thought would really change the tide and staff seemed really supportive of was to take this rule book we have, just like many other facilities, it's got like 300 different codes of all these different rules you can break, right? We've got different tiers. I mean, we make it like, you know, you can fart in the wind on Tuesday and that's like a level B or a level two and you get 10 days, you know, in the hole. And so there's all these different um, really litigious kind of infractions that you can get. One of the things we thought when we were in Norway was to make our rule book more like the Ten Commandments in size. If you make the rules really simple, it's really easy to enforce, and I think you'd be happier with your result because people aren't always getting caught doing wrong. And so make it really obvious things like, well, hitting someone will get you in trouble. Stealing something will get you in trouble. Escaping will get you into trouble. You know, like the really obvious things that anyone would enforce, whether they were trained in corrections or not. Versus your shirt was untucked. Your ID tag wasn't on your left shoulder. I mean, you loaned a magazine to the cellmate next door. Get rid of those. It makes the staff focus on the wrong thing, which is not rehabilitation. It's funny that you say that. You sometimes hear people in a policing context on the outside talk about sort of a broken windows approach of you have to prosecute the little things uh-huh. so that then there's a sense of order. And it doesn't sound like that's your experience, at least in in the prison. Yeah, I think we saw that most in solitary confinement. So it was very easy to get into solitary confinement. But boy, is it hard to get out of there because you might go in for a fight. But two weeks into your stay, when you're annoyed and pissed off, you curse at a guard. So now you're going to stay for another week. Well, so now you're really pissed off, so you stay for another week, and you decide to, you know, write some stuff on your walls in your cell, and now you're staying for two more weeks. And, and on and on it goes, because now what they're waiting for is your perfection to earn your way out of solitary confinement. When you're in an environment that would do anything but promote following the rules and being rational and logical, I mean, even physiologically. And so we found that, you know, that broken window approach you're mentioning, it works if what you're trying to do is catch people doing something wrong all the time. That it works perfectly for. For long-term behavior change, not not what we want. So can you describe the prison that you refer to as the farm, which seems like it was a site of a lot of the changes that you wanted to, to try out? Yeah. The farm is the Missouri River Correctional Center here in Bismarck. It's our minimum security prison right on kind of the banks of the Missouri River. It's much more open. You drive down this road that's just filled with huge towering cottonwood trees and there's turkeys crossing the street and deer and like they have a big garden and in the summertime it's very cool hand looks everyone's walking around with their shirt off getting a suntan like it doesn't feel like prison they started letting education take people out on field trips you know looking at education more broadly than you know arithmetics and writing and actually take people out take them to the capital take them to walmart to do some shopping because that's what you do. You don't stay in the same place all day long. You get up in the morning, you leave, and you come home at the end of the day. They had a work release program already. They expanded the work release program. You know, we had that huge oil boom, so there's tons of these old man camp housing modular units available. We bought one of those so that guys who were in work release could come home at the end of the day, watch TV in their own room, lock their door, and have a little bit more independence. Not so much that we're rewarding them, but so that they're practicing. You know, it's about habituation. 
People that are in prison have been practicing certain behaviors for a long time, and that's why they're good at them. And their behaviors like lying, stealing, uh, manipulating, all sorts of things you don't want. But people get good at what they practice, and so if I have them practice paying bills, being responsible, they get good at that too, even if that's not like kind of their intrinsic motivation to do so. Support for this show comes from Sylvan Learning. As a parent, you want your child to have every opportunity, but giving them the tools they need to tackle every challenge, that takes a team. Now more than ever, educational support tailored exactly to what your child needs can make all the difference. That's why parents have trusted Sylvan Learning for 45 years as the ultimate teammate in their child's educational journey, instilling in them a love for learning and a passion for reaching the next level. And Sylvan's Insight Assessment can identify gaps in learning and areas that could be of concern for your child. It's a 360-degree view into your child's learning that you can't find anywhere else and helps ensure that your child didn't miss something in school that might put them at a disadvantage in the future. And right now, it's the best price of the year at $29. Go to sylvan29.com to learn more and get your child's assessment for only $29. That's S-Y-L-V-A-N-29.com. Support for this podcast comes from Planned Parenthood. Your body is your own. That's why Planned Parenthood is committed to ensuring that everyone has the information and resources they need to make their own decisions about their bodies, including abortion care. Today, lawmakers who oppose abortion are challenging Planned Parenthood. Affordable, high-quality basic health care for more than 2 million people is at stake. Planned Parenthood believes that health care is a basic human right. That's why they fight every day to push for common-sense policies that protect our right to control our own bodies. They also work tirelessly to oppose the onslaught of new policies aimed at interfering with personal decisions best left to patients and their doctors. They won't give up and they won't back down. You can join Planned Parenthood in the fight to help make sure that the next generation can decide their own futures. The organization needs your support now more than ever. With supporters like you, they can reclaim our rights and protect and expand access to abortion care. Visit plannedparenthood.org future to learn more and support their cause. You can hear the way that Carrie Ann interacted with inmates in the interviews she did with Opsa and Nick. Like this one, where she asks Opsa to describe himself. I would describe myself as um, fun, sense of humor. And... <laughs> it's a small, silly joke, but jokes can be important. When, when you're sitting in the cell and... um. You know, you or Dr. Peterson or somebody come up and speak to you like a person, joke with you, just talk to you, you know what I'm saying? Makes you feel better. Um, makes you feel like you're not just an animal in a cage. Being able to talk to officers when I'm having, like, um, issues, whether I'm frustrated or angry and stuff like that, I've never been able to do that before. Before the changes, Nick had assaulted prison staff. Or one shift allows me to go into the office and make coffee in their coffee pot. You say I make great coffee. I mean, the warden and everybody so far, you know, the deputy wardens, they've all come down and had some of my coffee. I haven't had the 
best relationship with some of these staffs over the years, but now um, it's a lot better, exponentially better. Was it tricky for the staff at all to transition to treating inmates like people that they were part of a community with as opposed to a sort of adversarial relationship? Where we found success was not by trying to get people on board. That's something you'll hear a lot. You know, we really want to get the staff on board. We really want to motivate the staff. You know what? Their paycheck motivates the staff. Here's what you should do. Give them a directive and ask them to do it. Make it measurable. Their choice is to do it or to not do it. If they do it, reinforce them. If they don't do it, then find someone who will do it. So given everything you tried, do you feel like you achieved what you set out to achieve? Oh, no. I don't feel like I achieved what what we could achieve. I think it really comes down to the will, and, and I think what Im- impedes our will to make the change is fear. And isn't it always, right? The fear of... What will people say if I let this guy go on a pass to see his daughter's graduation and he beats someone up? Or the fear of what will the public say if I treat this person who murdered someone's loved one kindly and and value him as a, as a person? The fear of what if we're wrong about one of these guys that we've been containing in solitary confinement and he kills one of my staff members, how will I answer for that? Fear is uh, such a derailer of the goal. And so we operate not under our goal is to rehabilitate. We end up operating under our goal is, okay, don't get anyone killed. Don't get anyone too badly hurt. Don't make too many mistakes. Don't look stupid, right? And then, and then what can you achieve when that's your goal? To hear the skeptics out for a second, is there a point at which the rehabilitation focus starts to detract from things like deterrence or sort of fair retribution for victims. That's something I hear all the time as well, that if prisons were that nice, then everyone would want to go. And, you know, people already say that now about our prisons. (laughs) You know, think about Maricopa County, right, the old tent city. Sheriff Joe has tent city. Everyone is in the heat of Arizona in a tent. The U.S. Justice Department plans to sue Arizona Sheriff Joe Arpaio over alleged civil rights violations. They packed him, you know, three or four high in Arizona heat outside. In 130 degree heat during the summer. And their shoes melting. It was so hot. Their shoes melting. It was so hot. Pretty extraordinary. They had the pink clothing for the inmates. Pink underwear as a shameful and humiliating thing for them. And they bragged about how it cost more to feed the canine unit than it did to feed uh, an inmate in their jail. And even that didn't keep them from coming back. When people say to me, if life in here is better than a life on the outside, what would motivate them to stay out? That's not a prison problem. That's a community problem. If you're saying that a human being's life at liberty, has less opportunity, less freedom, and less privileges than living inside of a maximum security prison, well then no wonder why this person commits crimes. Staff, I think, sometimes feel torn in their role. Like, they always say to me, well, what would the victims think? What about the victims? What about the victims? And, you know, my response has always been, well, I can't do anything about those victims. Those have already occurred. But I can interact with this person in a way that will prevent more victims 
And unfortunately, it doesn't feel as good to the old victim. <laughs> I started to kind of this ongoing joke that I knew that I had done my job for the day if someone felt compelled in a meeting or otherwise to remind me, well, Carrie Ann, you know, this still is prison. It's still prison. Let's not forget this is still prison. And I just would stop people and be like, well, see, that's, that's it right there, isn't it? We're unwilling to forget prison. And prison's the problem, not the solution. <laughs> so if we would put down that broken cup and pick up a new one, we'd probably get close to what we want. But it's still prison. And we, we're still holding on to something that's broken and afraid to put it down. At any given time, about 2.3 million people are locked up in the United States. Millions more pass in and out of jails and prisons every year. That's a pretty big broken cup. Moving all of those people into prisons like the ones in Norway would be great, but it would also be tricky. There are emotional barriers and there are financial challenges. But if we could actually focus on rehabilitating people, on curing the chronic disease that is incarceration, that's one really big step. I'm not saying it's the only step that we should take. From an effective altruism perspective, we'd really want to keep people from going to prison in the first place. But if our prisons could get a little smaller and a little more humane, then we'd really be getting somewhere. Our wonderfully talented producer is Bird Pinkerton. Our editor is Amy Drozdowska. We owe many thanks to Jillian Weinberger. Our engineer is Jarrett Floyd. We have music by Chris Zabriskie, Poddington Bear, Blue Dot Sessions, and our very own Noam Hassenfeld. Future Perfect is made possible through a grant from the Rockefeller Foundation. To read more of our reporting on effective altruism, check out vox.com futureperfect. Support for this podcast comes from Planned Parenthood. It's hard to imagine a world where we leave future generations with fewer rights and freedoms. Since the Supreme Court's decision to overturn Roe v. Wade, politicians in nearly every state have introduced bills aimed at blocking people from getting the essential sexual and reproductive care they need, including abortion. Planned Parenthood believes everyone deserves access to care. And with supporters like you, they can reclaim our rights and protect and expand access to abortion care. Visit PlannedParenthood.org slash future to learn more and support their cause.